0: Uh, I think maybe this is the it's good for me that we began with the idea of hope I'll share more about that later but uh, perhaps that's the most uh, meaningful uh, aspect of the incarnation for me Uh, I've joked with folks before and uh, said as a lost person I was so desperate for hope I I found a woman named Hope to marry Uh, I I need hope in my life and I, I misunderstood God's word there I think but But he worked providentially. In fact, I did need a hope, uh, a a hope as a wife. Uh, You you can turn. You can turn to Isaiah nine, chapter one, chapter nine, verses one through seven, and I will reread that again. But I'll be sharing from multiple different texts. You could probably share in all of these readings uh, through Advent this same passage. But it begins, there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Nathali with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious by way of the sea on the other side of Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. And those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. They they will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil." In this verse particularly, "'For you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of the oppressor as at the battle of Midian, for every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult and cloak rolled in blood will be for burning fuel for the fire. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. And this last phrase, the zeal of the Lord of hosts, will accomplish this. A powerful uh, reading to begin our season of Advent. Uh, I come at things sort of strange. You, you who know me know that sometimes. I come at things from a different angle than might have been anticipated. But uh, unusually, I want, uh, I desire to magnify our hope <clears throat> by hopefully illuminating our hopelessness. Uh, That is a real thing. So really preliminary to any meditations upon the hope realized in the incarnation is a consideration of what life would be without hope. To consider what it is to be hopeless or utterly without hope. That is a stunning thing to be thinking about. I've done that this week and been reminded of that. I wrote these Uh, these comments as I was studying. To be truly and utterly hopeless is an experience that few, if any, of us have ever known in its deepest sense. For even in the time of our greatest and most intense suffering, there is a hope even at that late hour that remains, perhaps a very last hope. Namely, the hope that death will finally come which we believe will end our suffering. In other words, in the deepest despair imaginable, even then we are not truly hopeless or without hope. It is at that moment, perhaps a weak and a pitiful hope, but it is a hope. And I would suggest to you that none of us, none of you have ever been in your own sense and in your own realization, hope less. You've heard me share my testimony before many of you, and, and part of uh, the Lord bringing me to Himself was was just really inwardly. Because outwardly there were not that many circumstances contributing to this shaping inwardly, but I think by the Spirit inwardly began to stir in me this sense of the futility of it all. And I mean everything. I had a wife I loved and a daughter and a career that I could provide for my family and everyone around us was healthy and and life on the outside by anybody's estimation would have been pretty good for us. But I was slowly sinking into this despair of utter futility. If there's no purpose to this, if there's no end to this all, if there's no there's no reason for my existence other than the fact that some accident of nature, then life, however joyful it may be in the moment, is futility, because it'll all end in the same place. And if that's that's it, if the grave and the ground is where we all end up and there's no purpose or meaning to that whatsoever, then, then most of the world is just occupying themselves in the rat race so that they can get to the dust with the most possessions. And I could not live, I could not live with that reality. That's as close as, as I've ever approached, approached to being hopeless. So much so that I even contemplating bringing an end to it all because I couldn't bear another day of the futility of that and the absolute utter nonsense of it all. But even then, I was not hopeless because even in that moment, I contemplated that to to end my life would end the suffering. But that wouldn't have been true. That would not have been true. So none of us have been hopeless in our own experience. But here's what's frightening to me. Do you know that in Ephesians 2, 11 and 12, that Paul describes, particularly in that passage, Gentiles or us. I don't think we have any Jews by, by descendancy here. So we're all Gentiles. And he describes the Gentiles as without hope. None. No hope. In chapter 2, verse 11 through 12, Therefore, remember that formerly you, Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time, there was a time in their past, that they were, listen to this, separate from Christ, separate from Christ, excluded from, from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world now that's that's striking to me because i just asserted to you that none of you none of you or i have ever experienced what it is to be hopeless but yet paul describes us apart from christ As that, that very thing, without hope in the world, separated from Christ, from the commonwealth of Israel, and from the covenant of promises, and from God himself, you in that condition are literally and utterly without hope. You don't have a single hope. You really don't even have that very last hope that I have pointed to, which would be death bringing an end to the suffering, because according to the scriptures, once you experience that death, it doesn't bring relief. Actually, it inaugurates an intensifying of the suffering in degree and in depth and in duration. You are entering in now to an eternal suffering, so you have not found any relief. Even Even in the hope you Deceived yourself into thinking remain for you. Paul says of us Gentiles that in apart from Christ you have utterly no hope. To me, that's important to begin to meditate upon that in order to magnify hope. In other words, a a light never shines brighter than it does when it shines into a dark room. You want to appreciate light? I read some of the captives that were held in, in, in uh, Gaza, uh, having been released, some of those spent 50 days in darkness. And when they were introduced to light, they had to shield them and cover them and cover their eyes because they had grown so accustomed to the dark that the, that the slightest light was irritating to them and penetrating and literally hurt. Do you think that person in the 50 days of darkness didn't long for light again? Do you think they didn't have an appreciation for light when finally their eyes adjusted? Don't you think that they loved a beautiful, sunshiny day? Yes, because in the absence of light, light was magnified. The, The desire, the need, the longing, the yearning, the appreciation for light is magnified. And so it is with hope. So if you don't hear anything else today in preparation for Christmas and a true worship at the incarnation, meditate this week on just how hopeless you were in reality, as opposed to how hopeless you may have felt because however hopeless you felt in this life was nothing in comparison to the reality of how hopeless you really were apart from Christ. That is a devastating place. Lest the Jews might think they might escape here. In verses 1 and 3, he includes the Jews in this themselves. He says, and you Gentiles were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Then he says this among them, we too. Also, formerly, all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. So now we've got Jew and Gentile hopeless, hopeless, indulging all the desires of the flesh. Deceived at the, that the gratification of that flesh throughout the week and throughout the days and the years of their lives was itself some sort of hopeful feeling in them. And even if it resulted in their misery, they had the, the, the weak hope of death to end their misery. No, they had none of that, Jew nor Gentile. Not in and of themselves, not by their nature. That's hopeless. That's hopeless. Let me just say here that if you're here today and apart from Christ uh, to celebrate the coming of Christ while rejecting that same Christ is to mock your own hopelessness. You are without hope, Gentile or Jew, apart from Christ, without God, you are utterly hopeless while you sing Christmas carols. That is is almost blasphemous for you to celebrate the incarnation while being utterly without that hope, having rejected the only source of that hope, who is Christ. We, apart from Christ, were hopeless. If you can't even conceive of what that is to be, here's an encouragement. Go find someone in the community or someone you may know of who is at the moment caught in the depths of despair through some addiction or through some broken relationship or through some great error or great sin of theirs and and go talk to them and and listen to their heart's cry of the hopeless situation they are in and be reminded that, that even in that desperate situation apart from Christ, There is no hope. There is no hope. That magnifies the hope that we do have. I wrote here, although the Jews did have many advantages in that they were God's chosen nation in covenant relationship with him and had his law and the prophets who spoke to them on behalf of God. Paul nonetheless concludes them among the Gentiles as children by nature, children of wrath, even as the rest. Thus, both Jew and Gentile by nature, despite God's dealing with each group according to his own purposes, had in common this, that they were of the same nature and subject to the same wrath of a holy God. They were quite, quite literally without hope. I think this hopelessness is reflective of the deeper despair than even the most generally hopeless circumstance of fallen men in this world. As I've already spoken, man in his fallen nature is truly without hope in that even his death will not bring relief, but rather to inaugurate an intensifying of that very suffering In his considerations of the distinctions between Jew and Gentile, while Paul does acknowledge the advantages of the Jews, he says of them that they are to no avail apart from something more from God. In verse 1 and 2, the apostle Paul finally asked rhetorically there in verse 9, what? Are we better than they? That's what the Jew might have thought. Well, yeah, that's that's descriptive of the Gentiles, but we Jews, we have a hope, and he's saying, Without something more than the advantages you've enjoyed as God's chosen people, without something more, you're no different from the rest. Are we better than they? He answers his own question. Not at all. Not at all. And that's just, that's just remarkable that Paul has just citing the advantage the Jew has concludes even with the advantages, if there's not something more, they are of no advantage at all. Not at all. We're not better than they. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. I.E. hopeless. Hopeless. I'm not sure that we can fathom the depth of that, but you evaluate in your own life the most desperate, hopeless time you've ever known. And just remember in that moment, you still had a hope minimal, maybe singular and weak as it was. You had some hope, but the Bible described you in that moment. If you were apart from Christ as hopeless, what hope you thought you have was only a deception. You had no hope. There was no hope. None. Of both Jew and Gentile, he quotes from a number of Old Testament passages in Romans 3, 9 that I just quoted, but beginning in verse 10. Uh, If you want to write these down, his quotations are taken from Psalm 14. By the way, this is an indication of the command Paul had of the Old Testament scriptures because he piled these up. These are all quotations from the Old Testament. Psalm 14, 1 and 3. Psalm 5, 9. Psalm 140, verse 3. Psalm 36, 1, Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 59, and verse 7 through 8. So, so when you read Romans 10 and following, Paul is quoting, quoting in this writing Old Testament Scriptures that are verifying what he's indicating in Romans 9 that we have concluded that all are sin, universally. And so he writes in Romans chapter 3, verse 10 through 18... Listen carefully to this description of the hopeless. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave grave. And with their tongues, they keep deceiving. the poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. They are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their past, and the path of peace they have not known, and there is no fear of God before their eyes. That's the hopeless. That's what hopeless people do. That's that's how you can recognize hopeless people. And they're doing all this to one another. And they're displaying it every moment and every day of their lives. And they're hopeless and they don't know that they're hopeless. But their very life indicates their hopelessness. In Romans 3, 22 and 23, Paul summarizes this way. There is no distinction then. Jew or Gentile, there is no distinction. Why? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Interestingly enough, I was doing some reading, this, I've seen categorizations of, of that particular verse, Romans 10 and following, Romans 3:10 and following. And this might help you. It was helpful to me for meditating upon our hopelessness. But in Romans 3, chapter 10, verse 10 through 12, it describes there a universal condition. All have sinned. None is righteous. Altogether, they have become useless. If you read those phrases through those verses, it demonstrates the universality of our hopelessness. There is not a human being born upon the planet as a seed of Adam who came into this world with some valid hope. They are hopeless without hope. None of us, you know, we can rank one another and we can say, well, no, I've, I've talked to the homeless guy who's addicted to heroin and and who, or the young lady who is selling her body on the streets every night and wasting away because of her addiction. They're hopeless. They're hopeless. Oh yes, they are. But no less than you. If you're apart from Christ, even if you're living in the mansions and enjoying wonderful vacations, both of you are equally without hope apart from Christ. So don't exalt yourself above the hopeless who are in the gutter if you are in the mansion without Christ because you have no hope just as they have no hope in your flesh. In verses 13 through 14 of that passage... This hopelessness is universally evident in our speech. Notice he speaks there of the tongue and the lips and the mouth. And as though, as though your mouth itself, when you opened it, was like a tomb that had been uncovered with dead bodies inside. And the stench of the deadness starts to uh, radiate out from your mouth. He says, That's the mouth of the hopeless. Interestingly enough, you remember in the New Testament, what does Jesus say? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We're hopeless as evidenced by our, by our very speech. Without hope. And every time we open our mouths without hope, we display our hopelessness to the world. And even in our own hearing, yet we are so dead in our trespasses that we don't even hear the cry of hopelessness in our own souls. We're hopeless and hopelessly blind to our hopelessness. That is a dreadful thing to meditate upon. In verses 15 through 17, not only is our hopelessness manifested in our speech, but it's also manifested in our conduct. Our conduct. In those passages again, looking through those again, the verses 15 through 17 Their feet are swift to shed blood, destruction and misery in their paths and the path of peace they have not known. Even our conduct is displaying our hopelessness. We do. Our feet do run swift to shed blood. You say, "Well, I've never killed anybody, but but you you but you've hated and you've resented." And Jesus says, "If you hate your brother, you are guilty in your heart, at least of the sin of murdering your brother, because it has the same outcome. It's only a matter of degrees of manifestation. But the root in you is the hopelessness and the deadness of the man within, and he manifested it in his lust for revenge and vindication and uh, and to roll over." the lives of all others to his own gratification of his flesh you have not known the ways of peace the hopeless haven't they can't they're without hope in verse 18 you see here as well the the universal cause of this hopelessness I think he indicates there there is no fear of God in their sight at all you want to you identify who the truly hopeless are in the world today? Go out and see who it is that is reverencing God Almighty. If they are diminishing Him and minimizing Him and pursuing the gratification of their flesh in, in contradiction to His revealed truth, they are hopeless. 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 Wanna know where compassion for the for the for the darkened world we live in today comes from? You want to know where real compassion comes from? From the recognition that these are manifesting by their daily conversations and conduct and their lack of reverence for God that they are utterly without hope. And death will only bring an inauguration of the intensifying of that suffering in, in depth, in, de- in degree, and in duration. That makes my heart break. For those who are pressing for some of the immorality we see today. For those who would expose our children in the classroom to pornography. For those who I get so enraged at. The reality is is they are manifesting their hopelessness. And it ought to spark in the heart of every Christian who has understood his rescue out of that condition. Some pity for them. Some pity. It is a pitiable place to be. To be unawares of one's own Hopelessness He begins verse 10 Chapter 10 and this was interesting But you remember your call he begins That it is written That's emphatic by the way literate, liter, Literature speaking That is emphatic I read, uh, I read One translation that said it could be re- Literally rendered this way It stands written and then he unfolds the manifestations of your hopelessness. It stands written. I thought to myself, it is recorded in the eternal counsels of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It is an indictment against humanity that they are hopeless without hope in this world and manifesting it at every turn. It's not a debatable point. It is not negotiable among democracies or among, among dictatorship. It is not to be negotiated among politicians and philosophers and even theologian. It is recorded in the, in the secret counsels of God Almighty that man in his fallen state is utterly without hope. And there is no one to intervene. No one. I can't, I can't rescue you. You can't rescue to me. We are all together become useless in our flesh. John, the gospel of John, I thought, drove it home even more so. But John makes this indictment worse, if it's possible, in writing of men in their fallen state as having grown to love the darkness. That's just a stunning statement. They love it. It's a manifestation of their hopelessness that they love the darkness. They don't just tolerate it, they embrace it. And more than that, they hate the light that would expose that darkness. John says in verse three, John chapter 3, verse 19, Men loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. Their hopelessness is manifested in the fact that they hate the light. They have learned to embrace the darkness. Let me just say here, the more we learn that as a culture and as a society and as a nation, the more we learn to embrace the darkness, the darker it's going to get. It's, it's way darker now than it was when I was a teenager. I just shared with the kids in, the, in our youth class this morning. I, my, heart, my heart grieves when I think about the challenges ahead of them and the cost of faithfulness. Why? Because they're going to live in a darker world than we are. Because our culture is embracing the darkness and that only begets more darkness and darker and darker. And the depths of the darkness continue. And it'll get to the point to where they hate the light. Not only the light himself, Christ, but those who are reflecting that light, meaning you, Christian. They used to tolerate you. They used to even embrace you in society as good businessmen and good for the community. But now they barely will tolerate you. And more and more we're seeing that they hate you. Why is that? Because it's getting darker and and your light is still shining a little bit. And the more it shines, the more they'll hate that because it exposes that darkness in them and that utter hopelessness. So having said that, on this first Sunday at Advent, we magnify, listen, we magnify the hope of the incarnation of Christ by looking to the hopelessness of our souls The life preserver, I wrote, is never so treasured as it is by the man who finds himself sinking into the depths of the sea. And so it is today. The first and even the second coming of Christ and the hope it manifests will never be so treasured as as it is to the man who tastes of the depth of his hopelessness apart from Christ. You You want true Advent hope magnified in your heart? Spend this week meditating on the implications involved in your being apart from Christ and without the incarnation and the work of Christ upon the cross. And you will suddenly find yourself treasuring the hope that's provided in the incarnation. And I do mean treasuring it. It is to be treasured. The advent candle is often called the prophetic candle. In the the incarnation of Christ, we see the historical inauguration of his person and works that have from the foundation of the world been the fountain of every mercy and the hope foretold by the prophets through the ages up until then and up until now. That's what's striking to me, Uh, hopeless as we were, even, even in our blindness and our hard heartedness to the reality of that, we were exploiting every day mercies that were flowing from the fountain of Christ's foundation before the uh, Christ's suffering before the foundation of the world. So not only were we without hope apart from Christ and apart from God in this world and and destined for an eternity of suffering. We were living in rebellion and in rejection of the very source of our mercy all while enjoying it by day by day. And I mean by that by living another moment another day by eating fruit that was grown from the ground God gave us. And from exploiting all the many mercies of God flowing to us all the while hopeless and irretrievably lost, exploiting the very, rejecting the very mercy by which we live day by day. The consensus of Bible scholars is that conservatively speaking, there are some 300 Old Testament prophecies concerning the coming of the Messiah, his life and ministry. Uh, larger, larger estimates, including some other in, uh, implied indications there go up to even as far as five, 500, even 600 I've seen. This is not, it isn't as though the hope wasn't foretold. But it is an indictment upon humanity that we didn't see the hope. Even when it was foretold, That we were blinded to it. All of these and more point to humanity's singular hope. A hope that makes all other temporal hopes more than a mere delaying of a dreadful eternal inevitability. I want to consider a couple of these this morning without too much commentary, but listen to this one. This is among the earliest of those forecasts of the hope that was God was provide for the hopeless. And it came right upon the heels of the fall of our first parents into sin. Genesis 3.15, speaking to the serpent. God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall crush your head and you shall bruise his heel. The seed of the woman, though mortally wounded or bruised as it were, would by, would by that bruise crush the head of the serpent. Our adversary and the tempter who lured these representatives of humanity into sin and plunged them and their offspring into hopelessness and eternal death will indeed bring against her seed opposition, violence, and ultimately death. Yet in his righteousness, the death will be, as it were, a wounding, endured, and in its effect become the very instrument and the means for crushing of the adversary. Hope! Makes me want to shout for joy. There's your hope early on, right at the fall. You're not hopeless. I am providing for a hope to the hopeless. And on and on, 300, 400, 600 times, manifest in the unfolding of history itself, that hope was being affirmed and affirmed and affirmed. And by the time that he arrived, the world was silent. All but a few. While the angels were rejoicing. I've always found the juxtaposition of the silent night as we have just sang about. To the raucous chorus of angels. Re- rejoicing. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace and goodwill to them with whom he is pleased. What a juxtaposition to the relative silence on the earth. Blinded to the source of our hope. All the hopeless. Desperately needing real, authentic hope from God. We're blind to the proclamation and the prophecy and the forecasting of that hope. Not only the person of that hope, but even to the detail of the process of purchasing that hope for us, which ultimately was upon the cross. This death will be, as I love how John Piper puts the, the exchange upon the cross constitutes both the suicide of Satan and the salvation of the world that's that's bruising your heel and crushing heads in the same act oh yes Satan rejoice in your temporary victory but understand it's only a wounding and the wounding itself has become the instrument by which you're crushed you've killed yourself Satan eternally so And you thought you were doing something extraordinary by killing the Son of God. But he had no sin of his own. And having propitiated for yours, his righteousness raised him up. And those who he united to himself to life. And and the victory was won. There's the hope manifest. That's the hope that was forecasted. I'll read a couple of these. Another of these prophecies of hope is Isaiah 9, 6. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and she will name him Emmanuel, God with us the angel confirmed this as Mary's birth of Jesus as the fulfillment of that in Matthew chapter 1 verse 22 23 all this was done so that Matthew so that this might be fulfilled behold a virgin shall conceive and bear a son I love John. One of my favorite Christmas passages of all, uh, to some people's surprise, is John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And in verse 14, and the word became flesh and tabernacled with us. Put on a got in a tent like I wear. And lived, lived his life among us in a tent, like our tent. But, oh, and housed inside that tent was the eternal Son of God Almighty, clothed clothed as it were, and having no majesty that we would be drawn to him, clothed in the tent of human flesh, sent here to purchase my hope and yours. To give hope to the hopeless. Stunning. Paul I want to come back to this maybe for exposition tonight. But in Galatians 4, 4 through 7, I think Paul summarizes it well and it's this way. But when the fullness of time came, God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law so that he might redeem those who were under the law. That we might receive the adoption as sons and daughters because you are sons. God has sent the spirit of his sons into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave. Hallelujah. But a son, and if a son, then an heir of God. Now, the hopeless have hope. And it's not a weak last hope. It is a steadfast, eternal, confident expectation of what is ahead of us as believers. And as believers, how much more should we rejoice in the remembrance of of the inauguration of what had been prophesied from the very beginning of the hope that was to come, that's manifest in the coming of Jesus Christ through the womb of a virgin laid to rest in a animals feeding trough the world's the hope of the world completely oblivious to the hopeless in the world hallelujah we have a wonderful savior stand with me this morning father we thank you for your word lord i thank you for the hope i've said in my opening remarks it is perhaps the most crucial reality in my own regeneration and in my own the path that led me that you led me by to come to Jesus Christ. Lord there may be some in this room that have been to a place in their lives that they would have said looking back that I was hopeless. Lord I pray that it comes upon them this morning that if they were apart from Christ even in that moment they were not utterly without hope. But apart from Christ we are, there is no hope remaining, not even a week and a last one. And Father, we rejoice as we contemplate the coming of Jesus Christ and the the incarnation, the nativity, Father, we rejoice this morning and we magnify the hope manifest there by remembering how hopeless we really were. And Father, I pray that it will give us a Christmas spirit that is compelled to speak to those that we know in our families and in our workplaces and in our associations that are yet without this hope and that we might testify greatly and magnify greatly the hope that we have in jesus christ not not only as it's revealed in your word but father as it's manifest in our lives thank you for this great hope thank you that for the mercy by which you've provided it thank you for the sufferings of this incarnate son upon the cross to purchase this for us and i pray that everyone in this room knows this hope this morning if not lord i pray that you by your spirit would roll back the veil and open their eyes to the desperation they were in apart from you and to the great hope they might have in christ jesus in his name we pray amen